Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. We are in week two of a, a quite a strategic series called How to Build a Nation. And if you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to go to our website, catch up on what you've missed because actually God is doing something with us as a community and posturing us at this time, in our nation, how do we as individuals and as the church respond to the chaos and the confusion and the fear that's around us? But to help me this evening, I'm not going to start in what's going on in our nation right now. I'm going to take us back 60 or 70 years or so, even 80 years. Let's go with 80 years back in time to the 1940s, 1941 to 1944, a brief history lesson, if you will. I know you are in, feel like you're in holiday mode, some of you students, but stick with me for a little bit. But there was a moment in the, the, the zenith of World War II where the Third Reich were marching across the Eastern European front and, they, and Hitler and his troops reached the Russian border. And it came this moment where the, 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 the Nazi regime came and had this battle that lasted for not just one year, not for two years, but just shy of three years, 880 days to be exact, something called the Siege of Leningrad. Leningrad, which is the modern-day St. Petersburg, but this was the amazing, uh, this battle that between the forces of Germany against the, very, the Red Army of Russia, and the two forces collide for the very freedom of Russia and what seemed like Europe at the time. And this battle went on and on, not just for a moment, but 880 days through this, the freezing cold winter of Russia, and a, a city was, was closed off by the Nazis, was, was hemmed in like rats in a sewer, as the people, they, they, their backdrop became the flames and smoke as the Nazis burned villages upon village on their way to Leningrad until all they could see for 880 days was smoke and flames around them and hundreds upon hundreds up to, they said, to millions, 1.6 to 2 million people died in this march across into Leningrad there over the course of these 880 days. People died at the hands of war, hands of winter, and the hands of famine. And this was the, 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 the grand narrative of those three years, as people's fear and anxiety gripped a nation, saying if, if Leningrad falls, then what's going to be the rest of Russia? If they go, then the strategic city, then Moscow will be next. What is, Hitler can, won't be stopped. But that was the narrative that was on the, the surface level. A story that's not often told that's come to light recently, as we heard it in a recent moment, was in a dark, frozen room called the Vavilov Institute in Leningrad was a science uh, place where people, scientists looked after seeds and food crops that were supposed to supply for the next generation. And they went on experiments on these food crops. And when Hitler came, there was about nine scientists who, when, when the, 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 the siege of Leningrad got to its highest level, they decided for them, for the future of the nation, they were going to close ranks, shut the door to the outside world, and we're, we're going to protect these seeds and these food crops with everything inside of them. Profound, profound story. If you go read about it, we hear incredible stories of valor. These nine men gave their lives knowing that actually if their doors opened, the, 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 the marauders would come and steal and burn the crops. And if the hungry people came, they'll come and just eat all the seed. But their job as scientists were saying, our job is not for today, it's for the next generation. And nine scientists, the narrative on the headlines on the, on above ground was, will Hitler win out? Will the Red Army win out? Will the Allies come just in time? The fear and anxiety was hemming on people. But the narrative underground was that there were nine scientists who each of them, in turn, gave up their lives. They all died under, in the ground there, in, underneath the, the closed-off bunker, guarding the seeds with their lives. What would happen is they actually became a buddy system where they would not go into the vaults on their own just in case they fall prey to temptation to eat the crops themselves. 
And they did this, and they gave their lives one by one, story after story. One right at his writing desk, dying down there. Another trying to get one last gasp of breath above the ground before he died. And nine scientists went to their death, sacrificing their lives for the future generation. Now, as I read that story again and again, I want to say above ground, political powers and empires clashed in battle. But the real future of the nation was being protected and fought for underground by nine scientists. This evening, what I want to say to you with that story as a backdrop is that we are wanting to declare from this pulpit week in and week out, not with emotion but with truth burning our hearts, that the future of this nation, South Africa this time, is not held by politicians. The future of this nation right now is not held by the economy. It's not even held by education. It's not held by big business or foreign investment. The future of this nation is held by the church. It always has been, it always will be. And when I say the church, I'm not meaning a brand name church. I'm meaning the people of God, you and I. And this is something that sounds so huge, but actually Ephesians 1 tells us in, in the message version says that the world, the church is not peripheral to the world. The world, in effect, is peripheral to the church. It's always been God's plan that through the church, he'll show the manifold wisdom of God. This has always been God's plan. Actually, this is our time to shine. So I want to say, I don't think I'm overreaching or overstretching this moment right now in this room. But what we have been saying as a leadership, we really truly believe deep in our hearts that we have the privilege of leading a people here who are called to lead the city and this nation. And maybe you think in this moment, you're discounting this moment, you're discounting saying, with all the headlines of the, what is going wrong in our nation and our world at this time, what, is, what significance does this room have here? What, we don't have enough numbers. What, 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 what's going on in this moment? I want to tell you, if nine scientists in the natural can feed a nation for generations to come, what can the church of Jesus Christ do when they respond to his good news? Now, I want to say this morning, this evening, the title of my message and something I believe is, is a launch of a bit of a movement in my heart is Welcome to the Underground Resistance. It's going to make a great church name or a punk band, either way. But why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, Welcome to the Underground Resistance. You see, the, the grand narrative of Scripture and church history and, and world history, in fact, is that they've always been, the simplicity of the fact is there's always two preachers. Mark mentioned at the, the end of worship, there's always two preachers battling for our hearts. In the story of Leningrad, there's two narratives that are going on. The headlines above ground of woe and despair, but underground, people who are sacrificing their lives knowing that our, the future is in our hands. There's always these two narratives. And I grew up in Zimbabwe. If on, at the height in 2003, the height of land reform and, and political collapse and chaos and, and corruption and, 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 and atrocities that we fully only realizing now as the years go by, at the height of that moment, you would open the state-owned newspaper called The Herald, which just pumped out propaganda morning, noon, and night. Youth would think that we were living in a utopia. Because there's one line of thinking, but if you just want to dig a little deeper, you'll find out the real truth. There's always two narratives at play. When we get to Scripture, we don't have to look far in the text to find that in Genesis chapter 1, we have the first preacher named God, our Father, calling us into freedom and life. Be fruitful and multiply. Have dominion of the world. Subdue it and rule over it. From page 1, God blesses us as a people. The voice of the first preacher echoes our lives saying, I have a big story for you. Flip two pages, chapter 3, introduction of the second preacher named Satan who comes and says this, Did God really say? And from that moment, the chaos of our lives, of humanity, has been, which voice will we listen to? That's the simplicity of the gospel. Will you listen to the voice of the first preacher or the second preacher? 
And we have that opportunity right now. So I'd love to ask us at this moment, we're going to read a passage of Scripture, Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 to 3, and then we'll talk through a little narrative this evening together. But as a preface, I want to remind us that the voice that we listen to will determine the future we walk into. That's my thesis. That's what I drum into our hearts. But the voice that we listen to will determine the future we walk into. It's on the screen behind me, Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. It says this, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I've seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Let's just pray at this moment. Father, we thank you as we worship, as we sing, as Mark mentioned, stories of healings just happening in our midst. Immediately in a worship session three weeks ago, tonight gradually the, the result of a healing that's been going on in Candace's body and so many other stories that we don't even know. I thank you, God, you are doing so much more than meets the eye here. You're doing so much more at an underground level, God. You're stirring up the faith of believers, of saints, of, of people who've run for years. You're stirring up hearts to return to you, God, things that we cannot even see. But you see it, and you're doing it. I thank you, Father God, that faith is rising in the underground resistance tonight. I also thank you, Father God, that though the Springboks lost yesterday, we will not believe the narrative that the world covers over. We'll declare a different narrative, that we'll beat the All Blacks in the final. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That's the most excited I've heard you get. Wow. This evening, the voice you listen to will determine the future you walk into. So there's two voices, and I want to help us this evening. But I want to ask you, number one, will we be a people who listen to the voice of faith or fear? The simplicity of that, the faith or fear. There's two narratives that play at our nation right now. One narrative which is clear and obvious, corruption, greed, Women are unsafe, racial iniquity and, and fight, infighting, anger, frustration, fear. There's that narrative. But I want to suggest there's an alternative narrative that is coming from the mouth of God about our nation and that the church of Jesus Christ have to pick up at this moment. There's always two narratives at play. We see it in the scripture we just read. God speaks to Jonah about a city called Nineveh, which was had about a, a population of 120,000 which, which was a, a, quite a large city in those days. And it's in modern-day Iran. And this, it was a, a vitally key city, a massive city. It would have rivaled Cape Town in terms of its influence into the, the world around it. A city that's, that's, that's great in a number of areas. And God says, it says, no, I'm sending you to Nineveh, this great city. Why? Because its wickedness and rebellion have risen up to me. God, in this moment, I love this incredible thing where God sends Jonah to this, this, this city. He's saying, actually, I, yes, I'm not denying the fact that wickedness and rebellion is in it, but I'm sending you to it because it's a great city. God sees its potential, and he tells Jonah to run at its pain. You see, this is the amazing understanding for us, is that actually I believe often our greatest potential is locked up inside our greatest pain. That's deep. I'm going to leave it for a while. Now, don't call me Dr. Phil for nothing. Dr. Phillips. Anyway, sorry. Let me say it again. Sometimes our greatest potential is locked up in our greatest pain. Why? Because God in that moment wants to get to that place so he can show off his greatest grace. That one's just for free. But it just for a narrative, for a nutshell, in the Gabe Phillips paraphrased edition of this scripture, God said to Jonah, go, and Jonah said, no. 
This is the, the wrestle that happened. And actually, in, in response to this, with the word of God coming to Jonah, Jonah just didn't say no. He actually turned and hightailed and ran, ran the other direction. God spoke about this great city, but Jonah responded in this great fear and went in a different direction. But let's go straight to line one in the text. The, line, the, the text opens up by saying, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. The word of the Lord came to him first. Now, let me help us a little bit about faith and deconstruct a little bit with Scripture this, this evening. But faith always responds to the Word of God. So three things about faith that I, I think you, we need to know as the foundations of people. They'll be on the screen behind me. But number one, faith only comes by the Word of God. Let me say that again. Faith only comes by the Word of God. If your faith is not propped up and if your excitement and belief of the South Africa's future or the future of your life or the future of your business is not propped up and backed by the Word of God, then you're just bordering on optimism or false buoyancy. And optimism and buoyancy won't get us through when the pressure comes. But faith only comes by the Word of God. Secondly, faith alone pleases God. Faith alone. In Hebrews 11 says this, said, without faith, it's impossible to please God. These are some absolutes about faith. This is why how vital the voice of the first preacher is for you and I, that we have to get and own in our hearts. And thirdly, faith activates the Word of God. In Hebrews chapter 4, we told that the Word of God, which is inerrant, infallible, which is powerful, it always accomplishes what it sets out to do. But it says that that Word of God, the most powerful device and element from God's side, the Word of God that created the, the heavens and the earth just by the Word of His mouth and is sustained by the Word of His power, the Word of God, it says in Hebrews 4, was of no value to the Israelites because they did not mix it with faith. Let me tell you, with that as a backdrop here, faith is us partnering with the voice of God. Faith is aligning our heart to choose that we're going to partner with the first preacher. But if that is the truth, let me say, conversely, that must mean that fear is us partnering with another voice, another preacher. Let me say it this way, that actually I believe that the fear, we, we're not this type of church that talk about this often, but let's, let's call it what it is. If there's only two preachers at work here, there's only two preachers in the kingdom of God declaring truth or declaring lies. Faith is partnering with the first preacher. Fear and responding in fear is partnering with the demonic. That's what the Bible says. He calls it a spirit. It's not just fear. It's not just an emotion, an, an apt emotion to a situation. Fear is a spirit. The Bible says, I have not given you a spirit of fear. So when we entertain fear in our hearts, we're allowing ourselves and aligning ourselves with the demonic and, and the second preachers having rule and reign in our lives. Yeah, you know, there's actually, there's something, in the kingdom of God, there's no neutral ground. Let me take that away from you. There's no neutral ground. Like, you know, I'm not passionate about Jesus. I'm not passionate about things of God, but I'm actually not that way. Well, the Bible says, lukewarm, I spit you out. Neutral ground. This is, let's just take it away. I've watched documentaries recently about North Korea and South Korea, as one does, um, with their spare time. And South Korea and North Korea are at odds, and if you could never find, even though they share a same last name, uh, they, they, they could not be more separate and more different as a people. South Korea, open, free, all the people there love Justin Bieber, they wear Mickey Mouse ears, and they're very happy and, and open to tourism. North Korea is like a vault lockdown. Kim Jong-un only entertains Donald Trump as his new BFF. No one else. And actually, there's a fear about that regime. They're actually not allowed to take an in. You, to get a visa, you cannot get in there in, through normal channels. There's, you, it's just this, this society that is almost like this, this fear that's over this nation. But in between South Korea and North Korea is a little strip of land called the Demilitarized Zone. 
little strip of land. And it's almost like they said, it's neutral ground. And people can apply for, and you can go on long bus trips to so, and you get into that neutral ground, and you can look out windows, and you can see that tree's in North Korea. That's the closest you'll get. But here's the, the funny thing of the matter. They argue, said it's demilitarized, and it's a neutral zone, but it's overseen by North Korea. And when you walk in there, you have to put your phone on the side. You cannot look at security guards in the eye. And there's a fear that still seeps into the neutral zone. The apparently neutral zone. I tell you, in the kingdom of God, there's no neutral zone. You're either listening and living your life according to the faith, the voice of the first preacher, or fear, which is the voice of the second preacher. This is where the battle that's going on at the moment. So I want to say, are we going to be partnering with fear or faith? The simplicity of this. It sounds so simple, but it's the battle that's for our hearts and for our nation. Let me, let me get straight to the crux of the matter. We, we talk maybe in moments like this where there might be fear in your heart and you're going, actually, maybe we should be packing for Perth. Maybe we should be looking elsewhere. We should maybe, for the sake of the children, let's move. Now, we as a leadership will never say yay or nay to it. We'll never weigh in with our thoughts in that regard. But what we will do is we'll say this, what has God said? Not what has the economy said, but what has God said? Why? Because in Scripture... It says this, in, in the book of Genesis, we introduce the father of our faith, Abraham. It says, by faith, Abraham went and left to go to the country God showed him. He left by faith. A few chapters over, his son, in Genesis 25, Isaac, it says, by faith, Isaac stayed in the land. Whether you're going or whether you're staying is not the right answer here saying, what are you doing by faith? Are you staying? Then stay by faith. If you're going, go, go by faith, and we'll cheer you on. Why? But can I tell you, if you go in fear because you're trying to provide for your view, you say, if I stay, I won't be able to provide for them, and you're going by fear, can I tell you, you're doing more of a disservice to the future generation because you're partnering them with the second preacher. Or you can stay in fear. You can stay in fear because actually, uh, this is all I know, but then in that same breath, you're just partnering with the second preacher. Can we be a people, whether you stay or whether go, what has God said, and I'm going to be obedient to that? Let me tell you, as we keep reading this text, we realize that fear will take you somewhere you don't want to go. Jonah, just hanging around Joppa, the porter Joppa, just hanging around there. And he says, it so happened that there was a boat going to Tarshish. Now, Nineveh is in modern-day Iran. Tarshish is in modern-day Spain. It's the other side of the map. In those days and age, that was the other side of the world. If you keep going, you fall off the other side of the world. It's the furthest point of the map for them. And for Jonah, it so happens, a prophet of the Lord, he's running from God. He gets to Joppa. He says, oh, there so happens to be a boat going the other way. And I can imagine that moment saying, God, if there's a boat going to Tarshish, if I open my eyes and I see that boat now, God, I'll take it as you will. Oh, there it is. Thank the Lord. Oh, Lord, thank you. But let me tell you, there'll always be an escape ship going the opposite direction. This is why something we, we bang this drum again and again, but we do not believe in an open, shut door type of Christianity. What I mean by that is saying, hey, you know what? If God opens the door, then I'll go. If God opens the door, then I'll change jobs. If God opens the door, I'll move churches. If, God, if we live by, can I tell you, the enemy opens doors. He opened a ship going the opposite direction from where God was calling Jonah. But we get so good and nuanced at doing that. But I want to encourage us in this moment as, as the underground resistance, we do not respond to external stimulus. As the underground resistance, we do not respond to external stimulus. We respond to an internal compass. We're a people that are not responding to what the headlines are saying. We're responding to a narrative that is a deeper level. Because this is the underground resistance. 
So what is making you do what you do and how you respond? Is it your circumstance, your external situation? But I don't know. But I, I, I've been praying and saying, God, as we preach in this series, as we worship together this time, as the church comes and feasts together in, a, in the opposite spirit to what the world is saying about hold back, hold back. We come and say, no, we're going to come in the opposite spirit. As we respond in faith, I'm praying the faith will rise up in us, faith to speak out. Speak out against injustice. Speak out against racial humor in your groups that's not appropriate. Speak out when people make jokes or derogatory to women. Speak out that faith would rise up inside of us to, to step out. Step out in faith. Take opportunities. Take up moments to, 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 to take a stand. But also faith for us to get out. Speak out. Step out. Get out. Some relationships, some friendship groups, some Facebook groups. Some, get out of them by faith. I'm not going to allow those voices to part to push me in the way of fear any longer. Faith would rise up in us, and not only just rise up to faith to speak out, step out, get out, but faith also to stand in, to dig in, to press in. Language of faith would rise up in the, the, the people of God, the underground resistance. So I want to ask you this moment right now, as this, whatever challenges are facing you in this nation, in your life, in your friendship groups, in your own heart, and fear and faith are battling for the direction of your heart and your future. I want to say, do you see, do you hear the chariots behind you gaining ground or you see the Red Sea opening up in front of you? Let me say, this is not the first time that the people of God have been a bit nervous in history. This is the story. The people of God always prevail and thrive when they're the minority and are in persecution. The history of Israel is littered with persecution, they thrive. Blessing, they die. We're not good often when things are good. So I want to say right now, do you see the, hear the chariots or do you see the Red Sea opening in front of you? Do you hear Goliath taunting you or do you hear him about to fall? Do you feel the fire getting hotter or do you see the fourth man stepping into the fire with you? All biblical narratives, all biblical history of the first preachers trying to remind us there is another way. Another response system. And I want to say fear can only be silenced by faith. And too many of us have allowed our lives and our faith to be silenced into the corner because fear has taken the center stage. So underground resistance that's not responding to headlines at surface level. Can we be a people who refuse to do anything except from what the Word of God says? Let's allow the first preacher reign. Second and final point this evening, two voices, faith or fear. Secondly, are you a follower or are you a fan? I read an article this week, the fastest growing church in the world. Has no buildings, has no budget has no organized leadership structure, and is run by women. thought women would go, whoop, whoop. I didn't get that. Okay. And it's in a country where Nineveh was in modern-day Iran, which is an Islamic state, a Muslim oppressive regime. But can I tell you the word on the floor? Maybe you hear about ISIS. Maybe you hear about the Islamic state and the, 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 the oppression going on there. Can I tell you word at the underground level? Islam is crumbling. Islam is crumbling at a rapid rate, and there are more salvations every day in Iran at the moment than anywhere else on the planet. And women who are the most oppressed in that society are leading the charge. That's happening right now in our present day age. This is the underground revolution. How amazing is that? Come on. And I say that to get our hearts stirred because actually the Western church, and I include you and I in that story, we can be easily satisfied with just being fans of Jesus. No, he's, Jesus is not looking for fans. We say it again and again. He's not looking for people, a cheap like or follow on Instagram or on Twitter. Oh, no, I liked your page, Jesus. Go for it. He's not looking for cheap fans. He's looking for followers. 
So many times in Scripture, I cannot get away from it. I keep reminding my heart that Jesus was not this guy with feathered hair and, and somebody that you invite to a tea just to come and just bring some nice stories. No, no. Jesus was a man who actually was not meek and mild. He was aggressive, pressing for the heart of humanity, fighting for the voice of the first preacher to break through the noise. And people would come and say, Jesus, uh, I've got a new home, but I want to follow you, but I've got a new home. And Jesus would say, actually, leave your home. Because foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Basically, Jesus is saying, follow me, you might be homeless. That one doesn't tweet well. <laughs> hey? Another guy came and said to him, Jesus, yeah, I want to follow you, but I, my mom and dad have just died. So can I, we just want to do a funeral. And, and it sounds legitimate. Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. You follow me. Put that on the next Christmas card. Another guy, a guy came, a rich young ruler who would have been the equivalent of a celebrity of our day. I don't know if you've ever prayed. You're saying, God, if only that celebrity got saved. Whoa. You know, now that Kanye is doing his Sunday services and Bieber's tweeting about Christianity, yes, now the world will know. Well, the celebrity came to Jesus in that present day, a rich young ruler, comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, you can use my fame for your ministry. I'll come and support you and you can, you can actually quote me and say, I'm with that guy. And Jesus said, cool, that's awesome, man. Give everything away to the poor. And sees the rich young ruler couldn't do it and walks away sad. If I'm Jesus, I'm telling that guy, okay, I, I, listen, not, maybe not everything. Let's have a coffee. Your, your brand will do well with me. What I'm trying to, Jesus doesn't care about celebrity or fame. He's not looking for crowds. Another time Jesus gets up and, and a crowd gather, a massive crowd. And if I was preaching and a massive crowd gather, I'd go into the vault and pull out one of the best sermons that are quite funny and quirky. I've got to really work down. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus stands up and he says, if you do not eat of my flesh or drink of my blood, you can have no part of me. And I can imagine the whole crowd going, is twilight a thing again? And it says that the crowd walked away confused. And even his disciples were going, what is he talking about? Jesus was not after crowds. He was not after cheap celebrity. Jesus was after followers. And at this time, can I say, as we, we, we look at these scriptures here, I want to help us that actually if you want to know what's the difference between a follower and a fan, a fan is a spectator, a follower is a participator. Uh, let, me, let me see Jonah. We see the story. Let's fast forward his narrative. He runs, goes on a ship to a different direction, and he has the fast forwarded version. He goes from the boat he gets thrown off, he goes into the belly of a whale, he has the, the, that whale burp him out onto the beach, from a boat to a belly to a burp to a beach. That's the story of Jonah. And he finds himself, after this narrative of God, God saying, actually, I will pursue you, I will find you, you can, I think you can run far, I'll run further still, and I'll drag you back to my purposes. And Jonah goes on this journey, but it's this incredible thing that actually we see that, that Jonah's story is this reluctant man who always never always wants to pull away from what God is saying. He says, actually, the, it ends off with him. The revival, he speaks the word of God to the city of Nineveh. They respond well. Revival's breaking out. It's what a prophet would want. And Jonah goes and sulks on a hill far away, arms folded, going, that's not fair. I wanted you to punish them, God. Your grace isn't fair. And he spectates from a distance. Can I tell you, there's a scripture we know and love, Jeremiah 29, 11. Hey, it's, a, it's a preacher's favorite, and I love it. It says this, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. It's a wonderful promise, but let's not take that quote out of its context. So let's read a few verses before, Jeremiah 29, it'll be on the screen, verse 4 to 7. Just three, four verses before that promise. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Quick side note. Where's Babylon? 
modern-day Iraq. So the people who were in Jerusalem, the God's chosen people, have gone in captivity for 70 years to Babylon. Babylon, where they have false gods, the place where Daniel's going to be thrown to the lion's den. God says, I sent them there. Not the king. No, no, I, uh, Acts 17, I know the exact times and places you should live. You didn't just born in South Africa because your parents moved here from Zimbabwe gay because of economic. No, I moved you here. I sent you here for such a time as this. But he goes on and says, from Jerusalem to Babylon, verse 5, in Babylon, in a foreign land, in a land hostile to you, build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. I'm, I'm still struggling with giving daughters in marriage because she's only two and a half. It's too soon, too soon. But this is the reason. So they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And then he goes on, for I know the plans and purposes I have for you. Plans to not harm you, but to give you hope and a future. That promise is linked to knowing that actually God, not just a promise in, in air, it's a promise that's linked to the place. And that place was not ideal. It was the place that he called them to, Babylon. God is, if God has called us here, the voice of the first preacher says this is how he's supposed to respond. Let me give you three things very practically before we land of how the church often responds. Two, and then the third one is how we correctly should respond. It'll be on the screen. Often the church pick up at these times postures of the bomb shelter. You know what the bomb shelter is? It's a church that is so nervous, so stressed about what's going on, the headlines of the world, that we actually shut the doors. Let's wait for the rapture. Let's start doing some quick maths and working out when Jesus is probably going to be coming back again. It's happened many times in the centuries because we're nervous and we obsess about those sort of moments. We sing Kumbaya and we try and get louder and louder and louder because we don't want to hear the sinners out there. And every now and again, we'll, we'll aid God by sending out an angry Facebook status just to let the sinners know where we stand on that issue. That's the bomb shelter. Another one is the mirror where we say to the world, hey, don't worry, man. Look at us. We look just the same. We wear skinny jeans just like you. We, we watch the same Netflix shows. We laugh at the same jokes, the same music. I, I quote Kanye and Justin Bieber and the sermons. We're so real. Too close to home here. Anyway. But we say, look, look, we look the same as you. Don't want to actually, you know what, on most issues, you know, don't worry about those issues. We believe the same as you. Let's not, let's agree to disagree. Peace and love, everybody. We just want to get along. And in both occasions, whether you're in the bomb shelter or in the mirror, we're missing the call of God. When actually the narrow, correct narrative for you and I, the church, the underground people, is actually not to stay underground, the underground resistance is we call to be a city on a hill. The city on a hill that cannot be hidden, Matthew 5, and the city on a hill is distinctive, but involved. Set apart, but hands dirty. This is the gospel this evening. I want to land, I, I had more, but I want to tell you, in 1941 to 1944, they heard the headlines. There's nine scientists heard the headlines. They heard the gunshots. They heard the pain. They heard the famine, the winter, the fear that was seeping in. They heard the headlines, but they just chose to believe a different narrative. I want to say this evening, the headline over this nation right now is junk status, corruption, unsafe for women, racial discord. But I want to counter that and say, as the underground resistance there's a second narrative that we get to choose to be a part of. But people who respond in faith and as followers, not in fear, not as fans, or people who walk into that. Why do I have confidence in this? Well, it's because of a man named Jesus Christ. 
Not because we're great, not because our numbers are many, not because we've got great rhetoric or great strategy, but because of Jesus Christ. Because when Jesus' greatest day was not when the crowds were with him, his greatest day was when he was isolated alone on a cross. And when he went to, to the cross on the hill of Golgotha, as he breathed his last breath, he yelled out, Tetelestai, which means paid in full, or more colloquially, it is finished. And as they lowered his body, dead body off that cross and took it and buried it in a tomb, I can imagine the enemy, the second preacher in that moment saying, the first preacher is dead and he was right. He says, it's finished. It is finished. And the enemy is saying, we had them convinced in the garden and in another garden, we defeated them finally. It is finished for mankind. The headline over them is, it is finished. It is done. But I want to tell you, the great news of that story is the first preacher was sown into the ground, underground, the first fruit of the underground resistance, doing his greatest work, not above ground, not with his miracles, but actually with his life sacrificed, not, not apart from, but involved in the dirt of humanity. As his life went down, many sons started to rise to glory. And I want to tell you, because of Friday, he died, but on Sunday, he rose again. And the great news about resurrection that not just happened once, but happens every day in our lives when we respond in faith, when we respond as followers and allow the resurrection power of Jesus to come in our lives. Can I tell you on that day, resurrection declares that the first preacher will always have the final say. He's not dead. He's alive. And his word will have his purpose in our lives. As we land, I want to say right now, what are the headlines right now about your life? What are the headlines about your marriage? What are the headlines about your kids that just put fear in your heart, that put, put anxiety in your heart? What are the headlines about your health, about your addiction, about your sin, about your pain? I want to tell you, Jesus' blood speaks a better word. It still is the most powerful, powerful thing. It's rewriting our history. It's covering us with destiny. His blood speaks a better word. And if we choose to believe it, he'll take our headlines and rewrite a different narrative. The great news about Jonah as we land is it says this, that Jonah, he heard the voice of the Lord and he responded in fear and he ran the other direction to Tarshish. In that era, running from Nineveh to Tarshish, Nineveh was the most western, the most eastern place on the map and Tarshish was the most western place they knew on the map. And they often would say if somebody went on that journey or they went on that fleeing run, they'll say he's trying to get away and move as far as the east is from the west. Maybe you're here tonight and you've been running. And you're feeling far from God. You're feeling far from your purpose. You're feeling far from faith. You're hearing saying, I want to believe it, but fear has gripped my heart. And you feel like you've gone down too far. Here's the great news. Just like Jonah, if you've run as far as the east is from the west, the Psalms tell us that Jesus has removed our sins as far as the east and the west. You think you've run far? His grace runs further still. You think your pain is too deep? His grace goes deeper still. You think your past is too broken? His grace makes whole even more. He is all about rewriting our headlines into a different narrative. Can we close our eyes in this moment? If you're here today and you feel like you've been running, running, running from God's voice, running from His call in your life, running from a different response system, but you, and you today, like Jonah, you're saying, I don't want to run anymore. I'm tired. I need, whether it's in my marriage, my kids, my life, my sin, my brokenness, my, the ache in my heart, I need a new story. And I want to place my story in the hands of the first preacher. 
and allow Him to mold and shape and write a different narrative. If that's you, I'd love you to respond tonight by lifting your hands. I want to pray for you. The underground resistance, the greatest war happens not out there. It happens in here, in our hearts. So if that's you, lift your hands. I think there's more. I see a lot of hands. That's awesome. Is there anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. When we lift our hands, it's just saying, Jesus, it's faith, allowing faith to rise. Saying fear won't have the final say. Father, I thank you for these hands that have lifted up in faith today. Not cheap as a fan, but as a follower, saying, Jesus, I want to follow you. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, do what you do. Take the word as it's met with faith. Would your spirit breathe life? Make the dead things come alive. Make the broken things whole. May the far things come home. Sons and daughters, the underground resistance is rising. As faith becomes our language. I thank you, Jesus. Do this in our midst. Do this in our hearts. And I pray, Father God, let your voice rewrite every story here. Rewrite every story. If you raise your hands, can you in your head just say, Jesus, I lay down my headline. I lay down my pain. I lay down my faults. I lay down my sin. Say that. Say, Jesus, I pick up your story.